The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verses, uh, verse 10. Jesus says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. <laughs> there are a lot of lost people in the world. And Jesus said that the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Now, what do you think? He poses a question. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So the first life lesson here uh, that, that Jesus is passing on to all of his disciples, both then and all the way to us today, we must be very careful the way we treat children. And so those of us who know the Lord and love the Lord and those who have children, let alone if you don't have children, your nieces and nephews or whatever, or the young or the next generation, you, you have to understand Jesus is sharing his Father's heart. This is the Father's heart. The Father's heart is moved with tremendous love and compassion for those. He's thankful for all those that are in the family and in the fold and in the kingdom and that are saved. But his heart is stirred and moved for the lost. So I, I believe what we're doing right here and right now as we go into saturating, bringing the gospel or seeking to go into our neighborhoods like this, this is in alignment with the heart of our Heavenly Father. Because He is, he is so he thankful for the 99, but what about the one that has gone astray? When Jesus says, for I say to you, He is saying, with all my authority, I solemnly say to you. And then he gives us the reason that we're not to despise a child or a child of God. And he uses their relation to the angels in heaven. He says, do you not realize that in heaven, and of course, we would know unless Jesus, the eternal Son of God, would tell us because he came from heaven. He says that the angels who have the front row, as it were, Around the throne of my Father and the majesty on high are the angels of the young ones, of the little ones, of the little children. And therefore, you, you better be very, very careful because those angels are there, and they're there to represent and to watch over and to keep and to protect and to bless and to lead those who are lost into the arms of the Father. So be careful how you treat them. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says, Are they, angels, not all ministering spirits sent forth from heaven to minister to those who are on the earth who will inherit salvation? 
So this is the, the heart of the Lord. And, and again, uh, the conversation that has just gone on in the previous verses was that the disciples are arguing with one another, who will be the greatest when Jesus brings his kingdom? And then you remember that Jesus brought a little child in front of them and he said, this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And unless you become like a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. They're arguing, but what's my place going to be? And Jesus says, hey, if you guys don't get off your high horse and humble yourself and become like a little child, you won't even enter, let alone have a place, you won't even enter into heaven. So there's a theme here of, of little ones and the young ones and those with tender minds and hearts. How many have been crushed by an experience, or they've been uh, hurt, uh, they've been abandoned, they've been abused, they've, they've had whatever, and then because in some way those who are supposed to represent the Lord have, have damaged them, then they, they say forget God, forget religion, forget church, forget all of it. And so Jesus is really honing in. This is very precious and something that's very special. The next generation. Now, it was, I want to just let you guys know that was very encouraging to me. We, we had our first, uh, you know, Wednesday, this last Wednesday for the month. It was a special night of worship, and we're going to be praying for the filling of the Spirit, and we're talking about kicking off uh, the night of prayer and fasting. So I was in the little green room, we call it over here, even though it's not green, but it's a little prayer room that I, before I come out here, and the Lord spoke to me, and He said, uh, I, I want you to to first call those who are 30 years of age and younger to pray for them, to receive the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. And so I came out and I did that, and I, I must say I was not prepared for what would happen. This is just one picture, but man, there were hundreds, hundreds and hundreds that came forward. I was like, wow, Lord, the next generation, they're hungry, and they're sensitive, and their hearts are tender, and Lord, may, can we all agree, Lord, may you touch this next generation that will bring, you know, just a fresh wind and fresh fire and to revive all of our hearts that together we could reach this generation for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to look at this prophecy that's given about the Messiah when he would come. This is about his nature, and I think this goes to the heart of the character of your Lord and Savior who dwells in your hearts by faith. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied the heart, the character of what the Messiah would be like. Let's read this out loud. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. That's the nature of the Messiah. That's the nature of Jesus. He will not break someone further, who is already broken and battered, but he will heal them. Nor will he further quench someone whose remaining life and hope is about to be extinguished, but he'll watch over it, protect it, fan it back into flame, that, it, that they will fall in love with their Father and their Creator in heaven again. In other words, what Jesus is communicating about children, about be careful how you treat them, and, and that even the 99, the heart of the shepherd is going after the one little one that is gone astray, 
is he is saying, oh, that you would be moved by the love of God. You would be moved by the love of the Father. You would be moved by the love of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Love this world. Love those who are lost. Love those who have gone astray. Love the prodigal son and daughter. Care and love the drunkard who's still drunk and passing around the cup. Be a light to him or her and be a witness to them and love them. I know that there are many of you that, you know, in your work environments and there's people there, they're hard and they're bitter. Some of them have a religious background and they got burned and so now they just swear and they take the name of the Lord left and it just grates on your soul. And yet here is the heart of the Father, love them. Love that man or that woman that has a foul mouth and a foul tongue, love them. Look past their cussings and and see their lonely, empty, broken heart. And may you be a channel of light and love and healing and redemption and the love of God. And may they feel that intense love. So a lot of times without realizing it, there is a religious spirit. And it is, it's not a good thing. A religious spirit was present within the clergy, within the priesthood, within uh, the, the religion, uh, within and among the Pharisees and Sadducees. And the religious spirit is that they had stopped the love of God breaking. They were to be the whole point that God chose the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the nation of Israel was to be a light to the world, to be an example of a people redeemed who are in favor with God and to provoke jealousy among the rest of the nations. That's how and who they were to be. But they had grown into a hard, cold, religious, and, and here's the, the problem with a religious spirit. You look down on those who are not religious. You look down and, they, and you feel you're better than them. <laughs> And that, that's a horrible place because then you can, when you say, well, we're more holy and we're more spiritual and we're more godly and they're heathen and pagan and lost and everything, so we're above them and that's pride and that is prejudice. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And all of us have a story who were saved and a testimony that, that while we were lost and in darkness and broken and confused and sinning, the love of God came and melted our hearts. Amen? And so we cannot wait. Sometimes a religious spirit says, I'll wait until they change and get better to earn my blessing and my love. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. The heart of a true shepherd says, the 99 safe in the pen, I'm going out into the mountains, into the highways, into the byways to find the one who is lost. So let that be our heart and let that be our nature. Let a new uh, uh, power and passion of love flow into this generation that is so divided and so ugly and so bitter and so divided. May, the, may a supernatural flow of the love of God hit this generation as never before. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, so now we're going to be going through a couple more. These are practical things that the Lord is sharing with the disciples and through them sharing with us as well. So now verses 15 through 17. The question, okay, so we're in the family of God. What do I do or what do we do when we are stumbled by a brother or sister? Uh, This is Matthew 18, and for those who have known the Lord for a while, you've probably heard sermons about this, and of course, a lot of people talk about it and use it, but it has been so often misused and misapplied. I want you to listen very carefully what Jesus says. Verse 15, moreover, if your brother sins against you or your sister, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained a brother. Or your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So, this is how we deal in the family with issues of disagreement. Uh, issues of sin or whatever. So I want to give you some very simple, practical, what does this mean? Number one, Jesus said go in private. (laughs) You go privately, you go personally. Uh, This is the loving response. So let me just say, in light of what Jesus said, just go to them personally and you two deal with it. Let me just say what he did not say. He did not say, wow, this person really sinned and they really blew it. I need to put that on social media so everybody can pray for them, (laughs) right? Which can be an excuse that we use to really gossip, slander, and talk about in some way. No, that's not what we do. It is possible when you go to the person, and this has been my experience, somebody did something and then I go, hey, so... So how do you approach this? And I think some people have taken these verses and looked at it as lawyering up with your briefcase and coming and making accusations, backing it up all the way. It's a, I believe in the spirit of what Jesus is saying, it's different than that. If you go to them privately and you say, hey, you know, the other day and this happened and then you said this, is that what you meant? It is possible that the person didn't even realize what they have done. Oh, so that's how you took that. Oh, I didn't mean that. They might say, no, I was actually, I know I said that, but I was thinking of something else. And the whole thing gets diffused. You see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? So you just go to them. Okay, so let's just clarify, because this is what I thought I heard. This is how I took it. Was I right in that? Sometimes you'll find out. And, And so go in with like, hey, anything, I could be wrong. Go in with humility and try to find out what did you say, what did you mean by that, and what's, what's all the details. That's the loving way. Most important, and if you have a pen or pencil, write this down. I didn't put it in your notes. Most important, go with the idea of winning your brother and sister, not winning an argument. And many, you know, in these days, every, everybody, you know, has a blog, everybody has an opinion, everybody has, you know, and the Bible, of course, God has one meaning, but there's a lot of differences in application, and so we have to be careful. Uh, sometimes we want to prove that our way is right and their way is wrong. That is not the goal of what Jesus is talking about here. 
we're not necessarily going to walk in agreement in every little detail. Now, of the big things and of the gospel, and the, there's certain things, the important issues that we will have to have unity in. But there are many other issues that sometimes we are arguing and fighting about, and so there can be a variety, there can be differences, and we have to walk in humility. But the goal is not winning an argument, but it is to win a brother. So go in a spirit of meekness, humility, gentleness. We're not to go in condemnation. Number two, the goal is always to restore people. Now, if there is an issue of, you know, sin or rebellion or, wow, you know, it's, it is bad, the goal is not to expose them. The goal is not to humiliate them. The goal is not to bring condemnation to them. For we are not to walk in condemnation, but we're to walk in obedience to the Lord. But the idea is we're going to restore them. We should lovingly reach out to them, talk to them, minister to them, and in such a way that you want to be treated the way you would be treated if the situation was reversed. Does that make sense? Okay, so here's a great scripture. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Let's read this scripture out loud together. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, I want to take notice in your notes there in the scripture here, the word restore is underlined. The word restore here is a Greek medical word used to describe the setting of a broken bone. That's what it means to restore. Have you ever broken a bone? Uh, I'd, I have. I remember when I was in high school, on my way to my great NFL career in football, I was in high school at the time, but I was running through a field, it was summer, we were getting ready for the you know summer drills and I was at a summer camp, you know, the youth camp from my church, and I'm running, and my foot went into a, you know, hole and snapped my ankle. You know, uh, they're, they're every, you know, from the, from the top of my hairs to the bottom of my toes, I felt that aching pain. And I am telling you what, that pain, when you break a bone like that, upon which you're to walk and stand and move around, and you go to a doctor, I wanted the kindest, gentlest doctor I could find on planet Earth. That's what we're, that is the word that is actually used by the Apostle Paul, those among you who are brethren. If someone is caught, overtaken in a trespass, you who are mature in the Lord, spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Uh, and look, there have been times where I went and I thought, man, I'm going to go confront this situation and set them straight. I've had occasions where I went and said, hey, what about this, that, that? And then what they shared with me, I was like, wow, my bad. I'm the one that needs to correct the way I looked at it. And I'm sorry, I, I maybe jumped to conclusion. I, I judged you wrongly. I, I, I hadn't thought about it. Thank you. Th that's the goal. It's not like winning a case. It's not like winning some kind of battle. We're family, and we're to treat one another accordingly. And then lastly, go to the church for help. So if it's an issue of pride and sin, and, and the person 
is stubborn, like, no, I'm not going to repent. I'm going to keep doing it, and you can't stop me. And, and yet they're saying they're walking with God, and they're bringing confusion. Then, then you do go to the church. You, you tell a pastor or elder or uh, even, you know, home fellowship leader or someone more mature spiritually, and you try to bring them in. And the idea is that you're trying, hey, man, brother or sister, um, this is bad. This is serious. It, it's, you're the one that's going to be affected by this. You're the one that's going to be hurt. And they still refuse to repent. Then he says you treat him like a, a heathen or a pagan. But what does that mean? A lot of people go, well, then you can just cut them off. And, you know, how are we supposed to treat the pagan heathens? We're to love them. We don't stop loving them. We realize, though, that there's an issue in their heart. They've been deceived by the enemy. Maybe they got an addiction or something going on in their lives. We love them. We pray for them. But it does shift uh, the relationship to a degree. But that's the thought. That's the idea. That's the heart behind that. Okay? So let's go to the next verse. The authority of binding and loosing. Jesus now comes to verse 18, and he says, Now, assuredly, I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The authority of binding and loosing. If we go back to Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, this is when Jesus had come to the apostle Peter. Uh, well, he came to all the disciples and then said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father who in heaven has revealed it to you. And then Jesus said in Matthew 16, 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, Jesus' words here means that, that Peter uh, as well as the disciples, would have the authority symbolized in the possession of keys. And that through the preaching of the gospel, they would be binding evil and they would be loosing the very kingdom of heaven. Now, in Peter's life, it becomes very uh, personal in the book of Acts. Because on the day of Pentecost, on the day that, you know, Holy Spirit was poured out and the church was born, it was Peter who stood up and preached the good news and the gospel. He literally had the keys. On that day, that was a Jewish feast of Pentecost, and all the Jews who were in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, and they hear the people that spoke in tongues, the wonderful works of God, and it gathered a crowd, and Peter preached to them, and on that day, 3,000 Jewish souls were saved. That was the first birthday of the church. The key was the power of the gospel. When they heard it, they were converted, they were saved, they were born again, and it was powerful. Then a little bit later, Peter goes to uh, a Gentile Roman uh, military centurion who was stationed from the Roman military. It, he happened to be stationed for the Roman Empire in Jerusalem. He became, while he was in Israel, a lover and believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he didn't know anything about the Messiah. Or, and so Peter, supernaturally, is brought to the house now of a Gentile. The Gentile, Cornelius, brings his whole family. And Peter, again, begins delivering the same message he had delivered on Pentecost, 
but now to a Gentile family. And while Peter was preaching, they believed and the Holy Spirit came upon them and filled them. And so now the keys had just been opened to the Gentiles. Well, in a sense, then, those same keys are given now to every generation. The key, essentially, is the key into heaven. And the keys and the authority of it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, in a sense, on one level, we literally, now as believers, are going with keys to the kingdom of heaven to 1.2 million homes, representing 3.5 million people in the city of San Diego. Amen? Now, binding and loosing. I've got a scripture that I want to share with you real quick, Mark 3, 27, because you can read a lot about binding and loosing and various people's, you know, opinions and interpretations and so forth. But I want to go to write what Jesus said in another part of the Gospels, uh, chapter 3 of the Gospel of Mark. I'm not going to read the whole story. I'll tell it to you, but this is the main verse. Let's read it out loud together. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Jesus is talking about the strong man who who has got all these captives. Jesus came to earth to what is described in one sense, uh, Satan's house. When, you know, the devil is the god of this present age. When Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, they opened a window through which the devil came and he brought deception and then God's judgment and the curse. And now we're born in sin. So God's plan of salvation was that we're bound. Humanity was bound by this strong man, the devil, and his angels, the fallen angels. And so Jesus was sent by the Father into the strong man's house. But here's the good news. Jesus is a much bigger and much stronger strong man than the devil. And the first thing that Jesus did, and this is the whole story of the gospel, is that Jesus came and took that strong man, the devil, and he bound him. So listen very carefully. 2,000 years ago, there was a fight. There was a confrontation between the Lord Jesus Christ and Satan himself. That fight took place 2,000 years ago. That fight is over. Satan lost. Jesus defeated him. He is bound, and he has no legal right or authority anymore. And then Jesus said, then that stronger man will begin plundering the goods of the strong man that was in the house. Those goods are the souls of men, women, boys, and girls. We now have been given permission and encouragement to bring the good news, which are like keys that can bring every lost person from every nation, every language, every kindred, every tribe, boy or girl, young or old. We have the gospel, and those are the keys that they can enter the kingdom of heaven if they will receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. So, I want to just share this scripture with you, James chapter 4, verse 7. Let's read this out loud together. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, I want to make a little, subtle little point here. Uh, underline the word resist. It doesn't say fight. 
Now, I, in the realm of, yes, there is spiritual warfare, but I want to try to clarify something. You and I are not still fighting mano y mano with the devil, fighting, fighting, fighting. Jesus fought the devil and already won. It's done. It's finished. He is, he is 2,000 years later still a defeated foe. We don't have to fight him or overcome him. Jesus already did it. Amen? We don't have to fight him, but we can resist him. He, Satan is like a squatter. He is squatting on souls and land and territory that no longer are legally his. But it takes you and I as ambassadors, representatives of the kingdom of heaven, to come and say, hey, you've already, you're defeated. You've already lost. In the name of Jesus who already defeated you, we resist you. Get out of here. Leave and let the kingdom come here now. Amen? Does that make sense? So we take that power and we take that authority and we leverage it, we exercise it for the glory of the Lord, and that's why Jesus said, I came to set the captives free. Okay, so let's go to the last two verses, and we're going to wrap it up. Verses 19 and 20, and this is where the title of the message came from, because now we're going to talk about exponential power. So then the disciples came to Jesus privately. Oh, no, that's not it. Wrong page. Although that's another good verse. Okay, verse 19. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I want to say this, when you pray personally, when you pray privately, it's very powerful. But when we come together in agreement, even just more than one, but now two or three, we go to an exponential power, a tremendous power, a nuclear type power that has tremendous effect upon the world around us in agreement in Jesus' name. By the way, the word agree, if two or three agree, it's a very special Greek word that means to symphonize in your prayers. If you come into agreement like a symphony or the word harmonious, like there are all kinds of instruments all set to the same key, all playing the same song, the harmony of it is powerful, it's exponential, it's beautiful. So the Lord is saying, I want you to pray, but don't just pray alone, pray together, pray even in two or three, be in agreement with the will of my Father in heart, in desires, wishes, voice, alignment, and the Word of God, and explosive exponential power will come. I want to give you an illustration of this from the Old Testament. So we must take advantage of the power of agreement. And the scripture is Leviticus chapter 26, verse 8. And let's read it out loud. Five of you shall chase... Wait, 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 wait. So let's read it together out loud. You guys ready? Okay, let's read it out loud. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. 
When we pray together in agreement, it catches the ear of our Father in heaven. And he says, when you are praying according to the will of my Father, and you're coming together in agreement like a harmony symphony, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. There is real power, exponential power, in prayers, in agreement. And I am saying to you, this is why I have such high expectation of the rest of this year, because without, so, okay, so we're praying, you know, for 40 days uh, of prayer and fasting, and then this invitation comes to me. I didn't plan it, but Kurt Hensley says, hey, the Jesus film, what if we did that for this year? I said, okay, great. So now we come into alignment and agreement for that. Then I find out there's this whole other group that has a website called 40 Days of Hope for California, where they are praying and fasting. Christians all up and down the Golden State are praying. And then on that website is put Saturate San Diego. So now there are believers and churches who are praying throughout the entire state for the city of San Diego as we bring the gospel to our city right now. What I am saying is exponential power. When churches come in agreement and in alignment, when believers come together, when a family, you get a situation in your family with one of them or a prodigal or this and that, and two, mom and dad, come together in agreement, father and son, mother and daughter, or vice versa, and you come into agreement, ooh, it gets really, really powerful, and we will see its impact upon our generation. Amen? Amen. Okay, well, let's close our Bibles. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.